Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath. So, just as a way of explanation, uh, I'm not used to preaching twice for two services. So, I asked Pastor Rodney for permission, and he said that it would be okay if I preached something different for the second service. (laughs) So, I just want to let you know, and it's not so much for you as it is for me, if that makes sense. So, anyway... um, Today I want to ask you to consider that life is a frail thing. And it was mentioned during the announcements that you have had a number of people in this church or connected to this church that have passed away. And even when I was a pastor, um, I remember my first year of pastoring You know, you learn in school about how to conduct a funeral service, and you've been to those, but when I was first pastoring, in one year, five of my members passed away. And um, it it uh, it was difficult. Each one of those people were critical to the church, and I just remember every funeral that I went to, as you observe the events, it reminds you that life is uncertain, it's fleeting, it's temporary. And some of you know, if you watch the news, you know that every day we see lives just swept away. Did you hear that in Brazil, there was a dam that broke and the ensuing mudslide buried part of a town. And from what I understand, the last body count that they at least were able to find, like 58 people had passed away as a result of that. And we see tragedies like that. We see shootings like the one in Las Vegas. I'm sure you remember in 2017, a gunman went and killed 58 people as well. I didn't pick that on purpose, but it just so happened that they both had the same number of lives lost. And... It's, it's interesting that when we see these kinds of events, sometimes you're asked to wonder, you know, why was it them? Like, why did these sleeping people in this village suddenly not wake up again? Or what was it about those revelers that made it so that, you know, their lives were cut short. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Luke, and you will discover that these types of musings are not new to us. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus addressed this very issue, and starting in verse 1, The Bible says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Scholars tell us that Pilate was from his very uh, inauguration as the governor of Judea, was antagonistic to the Jews. 
And on one occasion, he dressed his soldiers as worshipers, and they went into the temple precincts. And at a given signal, they pulled out their weapons and slew the innocent worshipers. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Have you ever done that? Have you ever wondered, you know, when you see a senseless tragedy like a shooting, Lord, was it because of some evil in their lives? Was it because they were guilty and so this was judgment? And Jesus says, nay. But then he says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. Now, if you compare verse 1 and if you compare it with verse 4, you'll discover that in these two accounts, we have two different types of tragedies. One we would consider almost a, an accident. And then, of course, the other was a deliberate uh, premeditated form of, of killing. And Jesus says in verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then Jesus told a parable, and I want to ask you to focus on that. That's where our meditation will center today. Luke 13 and verse 6, he spake also this parable, a certain man had a, what kind of a tree? A fig tree planted where? In his vineyard. Now, if you were with us in the morning service, you're probably thinking that, man, this preacher is obsessed with trees. <laughs> but the fact is that in Scripture, trees often represent people or nations. And you don't have to go very far. Uh, here in our seminar, we've been studying the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 4, the entire symbolism of the vision centers around a tree which represents the King Nebuchadnezzar. But if you go to Psalms chapter 1, David talks about a man who is faithful to God is like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. And so in Scripture, this symbolism of a tree representing a person or a people is not uncommon. It is not hard to understand. But it's the type of tree and it's where it's planted that I'd like to ask you to focus your attention today. Notice that the Bible says that this is a fig tree. Now, for you Bible students, you will probably recognize that in the Bible, one of the very first places that you will come across the fig tree is in the book of Genesis. Isn't that true? And I think it was Lord Byron or one of these Bible scholars said, you know, the first time something appears in the Bible, it sets the precedent for what that symbol will mean throughout the rest of the Bible. Uh, scholars refer to that as the law of first appearance. And if you remember that when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately their response, 
to losing that garment of light was they tried to cover themselves with what kind of leaves? Fig leaves. And so in Scripture, the fig tree is often synonymous with self-righteousness. Now in this story, the fig tree represents a people or a nation characterized by such. And I think that we all understand that this represents the Jewish nation of Christ's day. But I want to talk to you a little bit about figs before we go on because it's important that we understand um, just a little bit more about this fruit. I don't know if you are aware that figs have a unique system of pollination. And you can check me on this because I know this may shock some of you. But almost without fail, fig trees are all pollinated by wasps. Now, that in itself may not gross you out, but in the process of pollinating the fig, the fig gets, I'm sorry, the wasp gets devoured and like melted into the fig fruit. Which kind of means that if you've been eating figs, you've also been eating wasps as well, okay? (laughs) And you can check me on this. I didn't make that up. Um, But there's something else interesting about figs. There's something else that's very interesting, and that is that figs among foods are one of those foods that's categorized as being nutritionally complete, Do you know what that means? It means that if you were stranded on an island and you had no other sources of food, if you had figs, you could live indefinitely until you died of natural causes. It would be a horrible existence, but you could do it. Does that make sense? (laughs) Because at some point, you'd probably get sick of figs. But The point is that from a nutritional standpoint, it's enough. Does that make sense? It's enough for you to survive. Now, that's important to understand because as we've been learning, the fig was a symbol of self-righteousness. In this parable, it represents a nation characterized by that, which, of course, was at that time the Jewish nation. And it's interesting that in the literal sense, it was true because God gave to the Israelites everything necessary to have life. And when I say life, I mean eternal life. And that was that they had the privilege of having what? They had the Word of God. Isn't that right? They had the Word of God, which was, of course, the oracles necessary to understand the gift of eternal life. But this fig tree the Bible says, is in a specific place. It's not just anywhere. Where is the fig tree? It's in a vineyard. Now, the symbolism of a vineyard can also be confusing, but in Scripture, the vineyard, it it can represent God's people, but it can also represent the world at large. If you remember, Jesus told a parable about two sons. You know, he said to one son, go, go work in my vineyard. And the one said, okay, I'll go, but he didn't go. And then to the other one, he said, uh, go, and he said, no, I don't want to go. But then later on, he went. In that parable, the vineyard represents the world. And that is the imagery or that is the symbolism that is valid for this particular parable. 
And I'm sure you understand that in nature, there are some organisms that have what they call a symbiotic relationship. Have you ever seen the alligator who opens his mouth? Or maybe it's a crocodile, but anyway. And then the bird flies in and starts picking out the food and the, the crocodile, the alligator doesn't like eat it because he knows that if he doesn't let the bird do that, he'll get tooth decay and his teeth will fall out. I mean, you know, you get the idea, right? He knows that this, I have to have this done, right? And um, I'm sure that if you are a gardener, even of a mild interest in gardening, I forget the combinations, but like, I think it's like marigolds, and is it marigolds and garlic or, or one of those? There's some combination of plants like roses and garlic or something. Anyway, certain combinations of plants help each other because one repels insects and the other one, and, you know, and, and there's some kind of that relationship between plants as well. As you can see, I'm not a gardener, okay? <laughs> but um, so in nature, these kinds of, these relationships exist where one helps the other. Well, guess what? Figs and grapes have such a relationship. By the way, I do want to point out something here. In stark contrast, now, the Bible says that it's a fig tree. And as you understand, a tree is something that is, you know, it stands on its own. It's strong and it, it's there. Versus grapes, and I once worked uh, on a farm uh, extensively, actually, where they were growing grapes. Grapes are probably one of the hardest fruits to cultivate among the fruits. You probably know this because, for one thing, you can't just plant grapes. I don't know if you know this, but when you try to start a vineyard, you actually cut the vines and then you have to get those vines to, like, have roots and then they plant those cuttings to make new vines. And it's not like you just sit back and wait for the grapes. No, you actually have to go through and prune these things every year. And not only that, but it's not like they just grow on their own. You have to put up a framework. I mean, grapes are hard work. Does that make sense? It's a lot of effort versus fig, uh, fig tree. And my parents, when they had their farm, they had a, they had a fig tree or they had fig trees. And uh, it was pretty much... Just let them go, and when the season is ready, you'll have your figs. And so in this contrast, in this contrast, God was illustrating his desire for God's people whom he has set in this world. Now, you understand how it was supposed to go. The way it's supposed to go is the fig tree has figs, which are the product of those roots which have dug deep into the ground, extracted all those nutrients, and really, in essence, deposited them in these beautiful ripe figs, which in turn, besides the ones that the, you know, the homeowner picks, will fall to the ground and decay, forming some form of compost that would in turn benefit the, the vineyard, the grapes. That was the plan, right? But there's a problem, and I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 13, and if you will, look with me at verse 6. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found how much? Found none. Now, here's the problem. 
the fig tree is in the vineyard. And as nature would have wanted, there should have been a symbiotic relationship. The figs drop their figs, that helps the grapes and such. But the Bible says that in this particular story, there is no figs. And so the owner, and I want you to notice, said to the dresser, then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, how long? Three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Now, does it make sense that as long as the fig tree in the vineyard produces fruit, it's helping the grapes and there's a positive relationship? Does that make sense? But the moment that the fig tree stops producing the figs, at that point, it's actually not even neutral. Does that make sense? It's not like, oh, you know, well, you're leaving them alone and they're leaving you alone, so you guys are, no. Because now that fig tree, while not giving anything, is competing for the same resources as the vineyard. Does that make sense? It's, in other words, it's not just not giving, it's now taking. I, you know, I should have introduced this message by giving you an update, each night we've been having guests from our community come and join us. And we have some of those very guests with us here this morning. And if you're here from the seminar, I, on behalf of the Beaverton Church and Pastor Rodney, I want to welcome you here this morning, okay? Actually, this afternoon, sorry. <laughs> and I want to tell you that each night we've been journeying through the Bible together. And I cannot tell you how exciting it is to see people excited to learn the Word of God. And I want you to know, it's not about me. It's, it, it's the Bible is the, the star, you might say, of our show. And each night, I'm thrilled. Uh, not only do we have guests, but we have members that have been faithfully coming. But, you know, in, in, in this environment, um, it's kind of a symbol of what God's purpose is. He has His church, His people in the world designed to give light or truth or you might say fruit to show that fruit to those around them amen that's God's purpose but what happens when a church member no longer produces fruit now fruit in the bible can mean one of two things fruit in the bible can mean like the 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 manifestation of the holy spirit which is love joy peace meekness gentleness you know the fruit of the spirit but fruit in the scripture is also a symbol for bringing souls to Christ. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So the idea is that God's desire is that we manifest a character, the, the character of Jesus to the world, and that through manifesting that character, we draw souls to him. That's God's desire. What happens when we lose that fruit? What happens if we have none? Suddenly something changes, and that changes that not only are we no longer benefiting those around us, but instead we are actually harming those around us. I know that's kind of a strange thought. You might think, I'm not doing anything bad to them. I'm just leaving them alone. The very fact that people know that we are Christians 
and yet we don't manifest the character of Christ, that we don't, we're not winsome to bring them to Christ, that very truth is a painful thing. It's a hurtful thing to those around us. And you know, folks, I want to say this, God's desire for His people is that we bear fruit. That's His desire. And I want to tell you, I, by faith, can see that God is going to bless this church with fruit through the outreach efforts that the church is conducting. Amen. Amen? God is going to do it. But individually, God wants to use us in our workplace, in our homes, in our families, I mean relatives and such. I want you to notice when the dresser is asked, you know, cut it down. Notice what the dresser's response is. Look with me at verse 8. He answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. Verse 9, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt, what? Cut it down. I like what the dresser said. Now, this is fascinating. Be- before I get to what the dresser said, let me see if I can just give you a little um, time prophecy here. If I asked you how much time did the fig tree have total, how long would you say? Okay, so first, how long was it in the ground? Three years. And then the dresser said, let it alone this year also, right? So how many years total? Four years. Okay, so in Bible prophecy, I'm sure you know that one day equals one year. And in the Bible, you know, they use the lunar calendar, so every year had 360 days. So four years in Bible prophecy would be 1,440 days prophetically, or if one day equals one year, 1,440 years, right? Okay, and I'm not a stickler, like I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make this a, 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 dog, a dogmatic doctrine or anything like that. But if you look up online, when did Joshua enter the promised land? You will discover that scholars believe that Joshua entered the promised land in 1405 B.C. Now, if you do the math from 1405, if you go 1,440 years, do you know what year it ends? It ends in the year A.D. 34. Do you know what happened in the year A.D. 34? The Jewish nation no longer were God's chosen people. You could say that the fig tree would be what? Cut down. Does that make sense? But that application is really more of a, of a, a side point. I think the main point of the parable is that when God comes to a person or a nation and he sees that there's no fruit, you know what God does? God doesn't say, okay, just cut it down. No, he says, look, give it more time. 
But during that time, you know what God says? God says, okay, we're going to dig about it. We're going to dung it. We're going to do all that we can to give it the greatest opportunity to produce fruit. And so you know what God does? So here's the person. They've been a member for many years. They've been a Christian for many years, but they haven't been producing fruit. And so God says, you know what? I want this person to have the greatest possibility of bearing fruit. So you know what I'm going to do? I am going to make it possible that they can receive the truth which will transform their life. I'm going to give them every possible avenue. And so God provides something like 3ABN or maybe, you know, it is written television, which you can access on your phone, right? And amazing facts. And then, you know, there's, and, and then God says, look, I'm going to give them that opportunity. And if this was Beaverton, God would say, you know what? I'm going to put them in a beautiful church with a pastor who loves them and cares for them and is going to preach them biblical messages week after week. And not only that, but this church, I'm going to give them the privilege of, be, of participating because there's ministry opportunities, there's children's ministry, there's adult ministry, and they have outreach opportunities, and they do evangelism every two years. And I'm going to give them every chance that I can to bear fruit. And friends, I want you to know that God is looking for fruit on from each of us and you know i believe i believe that every time you go to a funeral every time you hear about a tragedy about someone losing their life it should be a reminder god has given me life i have probationary time because my purpose here on earth is to bless others around me You see, folks, our role, our job, our place in this world is not to just remain neutral. By remaining neutral, you hurt people around you. It's to be proactively doing good for the salvation of others. We're doing that right now as a church, holding evangelistic meetings. But individually, you have that opportunity as well. And I want to say this because this is something that I'm learning more clearly We cannot win souls to Jesus if we ourselves do not manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Like those two things, they go together. And, you know, I I will just say this. For years, I focused on the methodology of soul winning. Um, And, you know, I I, I had a career as an evangelist and I, I did this but these days, it's not so much the, the proving of the truth that's so important as it is for me, the experience of the truth. And maybe that's where you are in your life too. Maybe, you know, before you wanted to prove what the mark of the beast is or who the Antichrist was, but now I'm more of, I want to experience the blessing of the Sabbath in my own life. I want to experience that rest that God gives us. You know, friends, as we close today, maybe there's someone in here 
that has a heart's desire to bear more fruit. Maybe you've been bearing fruit, but you're saying, Lord, use me more. Help me to be a better witness to my family. Help me to be a more courageous witness at my workplace. And you want to be used by Jesus to reach those around you. But sometimes it takes a little bit of courage. Sometimes it takes a little bit of recognition that, yes, this is my job. God placed me here in this world, and my role is to bless those around me. But if you need that strength today, if you need that motivation that really is from divine power, you want God to bless you, to help you to this end, would you just lift up your hand right now and say, Lord, that's my need. Be honest with God and say, Lord, I need your help. And as we close our message today, I want to invite you to please bow your heads with me as we have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, on this Sabbath day, thank you for life and for the opportunity it gives us to be able to live for you. And I want to ask that for those here today that recognize that, Lord, we, we can't bear fruit on our own and we need divine power. Please give us help. You've seen their hands. You've seen their heart's desire. I just ask that you would fill us with your spirit. I ask that you would empower us. I ask that you would give us the courage that we need to be those witnesses for you. Thank you for life. May we, may we number our days in such a way that when you come, we will, be, we will have been found to be good stewards of this precious gift. For we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.